0: Hi, everyone. Raghu here with uh, a new discovery. She is someone who, who wrote this uh, amazing book, Joanna Garzili. And, uh, and I was just starting to talk to Joanna. And basically, I was saying, like, what we all need is some practical day-to-day stuff. And, of course, in my own background, which goes back decades to India with Ramdas with Neem Karoli Baba... Uh, and meeting a lot of Tibetans and, and, and really got involved with a lot of, not with Maharaji, that's Neem Kurolibel, but not with him. He was direct, simple, and non-dual in a way, in, a, in, in the way of bhakti. In other words, he was very, very unusual being. But we have had rather esoteric different teachings that we were prompted to take at that time and since then, especially around the Tibetan stuff. And so there's a way in which, though, sometimes that's very hard to uh, apply in today's modern lifestyle. And so a book like yours really helps. uh, And I'd like to connect up the dots a little bit as we go through it in terms of what it is that you're doing that really, I believe, helps people. And at the same time, where it connects with the same deeply... um, Spiritual tenets of something like Tibetan Buddhism, uh, in, or Bhakti Yoga, which is our tradition. So that's quite a preamble, ain't it, for this? <laughs> but you, you know what? The book is called Big Miracles. So the first thing I'm going to need is from you is a definition of miracle.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's wonderful to be with you today and I'm so excited for our conversation and where spirit leads us, (laughs) what divine pearls of wisdom come through. To me, the idea of a big miracle is it's not something that happens suddenly, although it seems to be sudden, it seems to be miraculous, it's that when we make a commitment to a seed of desire, something that we have within our hearts that is part of our purpose, our spiritual purpose, that as we make that commitment and we follow through, we follow that path, that as we consistently take those steps and we show up one breath at a time, moment to moment, that is when that big miracle occurs. And essentially, I like to think of a big miracle as it is get, getting everything that you wanted and You believe possible, but maybe some part of you thought, well, it's not really possible (laughs) because there's those two conflicting sides within oneself that are constantly coming up. So when saying a big miracle, it's something that you just, you know, then that even if it doesn't look like on the outside that things are moving in the right direction, they are because it gives you a focus point. Mm.
0: Okay, and now spirit, because these folks. When you read the book, by the way, the book is out, is it not, John? Yes. Yes.
1: It's everywhere. Yes, big miracles is everywhere.
0: So go to Amazon, that's everybody, <laughs> and buy this book and use our uh, our URL from Be Here Now Network. So we get a. That's perfect. There we, it is. Uh, yes, and we get a couple of shekels when you do that, everybody. So it helps. Everyone and you uh, are, are supporting what Joanne is doing, which you'll hear all about in this uh, in the next hour. Um, okay, the other word, of course, that you use spirit. very much—spirit. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, I believe we are spirit. We are spirit. Is everywhere. It is in all things. It is energy, vibration, matter, and. It's in a small flower to being in us as human beings, to being the night sky, to even being sitting in traffic on the 405 in Los Angeles. So, no, it's I,
0: not there. Sorry. <laughs>
1: But I think the point is this to be able to see spirit in all things, but essentially it is breath, it is life, and spirit animates us. And so a lot of the time we get caught in just being in our physical body, and in, in my, my belief is that through yoga, through meditation, through different forms of physical exercise – to connecting with family, to traveling, that we get to get different viewpoints, different experiences of spirit. Because essentially, the more that we focus, say, on being spiritual beings or having a spiritual practice, that is us saying, I want to be more. I, not in a gluttonous, greedy sense, but I want to experience more of everything that there is so that I can improve myself so that I can make more of an impact that I can have a positive influence on, on those, on other people in the world.
0: Mm. Could you, would you connect spirit with soul in any way?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I feel soul. So I feel spirit again is just the pure energy that is around us and soul I feel more is about the the personality of the spiritual part of ourselves oftentimes say if I'm connecting with someone who is let's say they're stuck in a certain area of their life and I intuitively I'm connecting to that person I, if there is a misalignment for them, that will show up as soul fragmentation. So it's as if a soul, I feel, is like the the imprint of that unseen energy that overlays our, is an extension of our physical selves and that there are these different pieces that we're whole, but throughout, because I personally believe that we that in reincarnation and that we have more than one life, That as we have gone through different lifetimes, through certain lessons that perhaps we, things that happened unexpectedly or we just didn't know how to process or there was an emotional trauma, creates a soul fragmentation. And so how do we get back to making our souls whole again is opening up to saying, spirit flow through me, let me experience you. And spirit gives us the ability to see clearly to feel with clarity, to have certainty about who we are on our path. And then that creates the, the glue, you could say the spiritual glue, to experience wholeness within the soul that allows us to enjoy each moment in connecting with another soul, with another human being, in connecting with one's environment. Mm.
0: Maybe we could we could talk about spirit as the Buddhists talk about true nature. That would be a, a little bit that true nature resides in everything, of course. Similarly, there's soul, there's individual soul, and then there's over soul, and that over soul is yes. spirit residing in everything. So that, in that way, it is connected. Uh, by the way, everybody, uh, Joanna uh, is an intuition coach. Okay, so that's what we're we're looking forward here to get some intuition coaching here today. I'm usually end up at you know being on the other end of it, so I'm kind of happy. I. I went to, I, I had a therapist, a, a scientist named Paul Ekman on a few weeks ago, who is an expert in, in emotions, a psychologist, and I got an hour therapy session, it was like fantastic.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I like what James Van Prague, who is a very well-known psychic, right?
1: Yes, yeah. one of the best in the world, I mean, he's, he's awesome, and he's such a sweetheart.
0: Really, did he read you? Have you, have you done a reading with him?
1: I haven't done a reading with him. I originally met him at the West Hollywood Book um, book Fair a number of years ago. I had been to his a, a couple of his different events and then I reached out to him and fortunately he remembered meeting me and he was the first person actually to read Big Miracles. So I, it was a real honor to get the the positive review endorsement that I got from him, it meant a lot to me because he is such a master at what he does. And I love that not only he, has he taken his gifts of mediumship and being able to help others as a, as a psychic medium and connecting with loved ones on the other side, but that also that he channeled that into the entertainment industry as a writer, as an executive producer. He had a very successful show for a number of years, The Ghost Whisperer. Mm with Jennifer Love Hewitt, and you I have a lot of respect for people that can take a certain talent and then diversify. Because oftentimes, I don't know if you go through this, but I know when people say, well, I'm thinking about changing career, or if I do this, then I can't do that. And I always like to take a yes and approach. Do this and then add to your repertoire and and build endurance for doing more than one thing to share your gifts with different
0: people. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, what he said which to me is the most apt thing around the book is it gives you a better understanding of yourself and assists you in fulfilling your soul's blueprint. And I kind of really like that idea of the of the blueprint and and a lot of what we do in letting go of, of the dark stuff and the shadows that we have is to get in tune with uh, the blueprint, which can also mean, uh, in in the uh, in in the Hindu area, samskaras, that you start to realize what uh-huh. you're doing, to to uh, to actually live this blueprint. So, um, and here's so here's something from the uh, from the book that uh, it's you know very it's obviously from the first chapter. And my 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 concern a lot with uh, any book that um, can help people with intention and then producing results in their life that are going to enhance their lives, that it's missing what you're not missing right here. You are far more than your mind and your body. You are first and foremost a spiritual being, a mind and a body animated by spirit. At your best, you are an expression of love and a demonstration of beauty, someone creative and inspiring. At your worst, you are an expression of your unevolved ego, a narrow bandwidth of consciousness bent solely on defending your self-interests. Someone frightened, possibly abrasive or clinging. It's not that you stop being spiritual when you're driven by ego. It's that you don't rec- yourself, recognize yourself as such. Anytime you feel joyful, peaceful and fulfilled, you're fully expressing your true spiritual nature so uh, to me that's everything else that happens after has to be seen through that light for sure and
1: uh, right the answers are always there it sort of reminds me about paulo coelho and the alchemist right and the story of the boy going off and leaving home and going on that adventure and as you just shared and read to me the first paragraph there from chapter one of big Miracles that everything we need is already here all the wisdom the support the resources and then it's just being able to get to that point i suppose the rest of big miracles is showing different ways through the different rules here's how you get to that it is already there we are already home and it it what i've found in my life it's it it's that on a daily basis upon waking not to be so shocked so rattled so scared of resistances or negativity that comes in from other people's life experience of where they're at when you spoke before about the the, the samskaras right these these negative patterns or just these schisms that move us out of peace into misalignment and 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 my hope with Big Miracles is that it ends up being a very simple plan to help someone get right back to going, yes, I am this spiritual being and I get to be myself without apology and I get to enjoy my life because what a blessing, right, (laughs) that we are alive and, and even though... You know, I know some people particularly at the moment have this this perception of the world that we are in a terrible time that everything is falling apart I would say right it's shadows that are coming up there but that actually we are in a time of great innovation we have I believe more and more consciousness more and more opportunities and the way that innovation and Understanding and compassion have increased, accelerated within, say what took a hundred years before is happening within maybe a 10-year period now, is incredible. I really feel that we have moved into this age of light Mm. and that we get to every day practice experiencing that light. And of course, as more light comes in, there is more shadow (laughs) that is there for clearing. So I think some people are quite rattled in that they think, oh, I'm going to embark upon this spiritual path, and then stuff comes up, icky stuff comes up. And they go, hang on a minute, this isn't what I signed up for. But I know from when I started doing yoga, um, gosh, back when I was 20 years old, that once you wake up, you can't just suddenly say, now I want to go back to sleep. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I know you know that it doesn't work like that and so I think some people are just I see certain people in the sort of I guess spiritual new age community that they want all the the good feeling stuff without having to do the deeper work and we know <laughs> one has to like there are the rewards and there is such a great feeling of when you really dig in and do the deeper work yeah.
0: And you talk about perspective. Uh, Spiritual awakening is occurring for you when you see your relationship circumstances and environment with new awareness. And for me, new awareness, that is absolutely the first thing that has to happen. You suddenly realize, wait a minute, the perspective I've been living from mind-ego place and in polarization and, and so on is, actually, that's not reality. So that's the first, absolute first thing. And then what you just said is, the next thing is you take this new awareness that you have and realize you've got to develop that in a, in a very strong day-to-day way so that it's centered in the middle of your chest rather than your head. And then from there, you can start to make a little bit of friends with suffering, which is endemic, as the Buddha said, on a day-to-day basis again. So uh, I think you know that's highly, highly important, that first step of awareness for sure um something else i liked a lot um about honesty um you talk about being honest with yourself about negative thoughts and so on and so forth i i think that's a very i, I want you to talk about it because it's a very very difficult thing for people to be honest as you know m- my involvement with ramdas i don't think there was anybody who uh <laughs> was as honest as he was when he first woke up. I mean, he you know, he woke up with psychedelics, of course, in the 60s and so on, but it was only until he, he went looking for what is reality and he found Neem Karoli Baba, and then he came back and talked about it. But he talked about it. He, That was what attracted me. The first thing, oh, shit, it's okay. I'm okay. I'm not crazy. I'm not bad. I'm not... My negative, I'm not my negative thoughts I'm not my positive thoughts for that matter there was mm-hmm. a way I could see a way through so talk about self-honesty I think it's a huge big deal for people
1: I, I love that and self-honesty sets one free people say they want the truth oftentimes I'm all about truth they're not about truth I mean there's just there's a, a massive denial that is there, and that is the thing that keeps one asleep and stuck. So, I find that really checking in one oneself when one wakes up in the morning, and before one goes to sleep at night, at a minimum and necessary, but ideally without, you know, without getting obsessive, but really to to check in. At, as often as possible throughout the day so that you can have perspective is so vitally important. And the thing is is that I know for myself in the past, I had so much denial because I was scared to look at certain things. But as I started to peel back those layers, it really gave me the ability to go after certain things that I wanted for my life, to letting go of a lot of the angst that was there because whenever we try to make someone else wrong or get them to see our point of view it it just ends up sucking our energy dry it ends up being such a negative thing and and I think that when one checks in on oneself and uses that tool of self-honesty you know, it might be that, yes, you already are being totally honest and then great. Well, then don't worry about what someone else thinks or what someone else accuses you of or blames you yeah. for. It, it's just coming just it. it is, I, I think, one of the, the best tools to get back into right alignment quickly.
0: Mm. And it's and I think part of it is just to add to that would be around motivation so that there, uh, there. Of course, is a mindfulness is the byword today, right? That everybody's yes. using, uh, and some of it can be used righteously for deepening your self-awareness, and some of it is is good if you trade better at, on the stock exchange, you know that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, there is using a tool of that which uh, we called back in the day, and Ramdas coined it, the witness, um, which. Getting out of witness, of course, is not witnessing, like from your mind, which is making judgments and 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 looking at it from uh, a point of view that's totally within separation. But witnessing it, uh, developing a real non-judgmental place from which to witness your motivations in in whatever it is you're doing, that adds to a, a great ability to be way more honest with with yourself. So, um,
1: well. The funny thing was actually this this morning when I came back, I went and did a running class and it was fabulous because I find running is a great meditation mm-hmm. for me. I I go, I rotate between doing different things. Sometimes I do a lot of yoga. Now at the moment it's running because I like to develop. I find different exercises develop different parts of myself I came back and there was a review on, it was my first horrible review on Amazon. They've been all five-star reviews and I got one horrible review. Mm. And my initial sort of reaction was what the, like who is this person? Why did they write this? You know, what was going through their head? Um, you know, oh my gosh, you know, someone goes now and looks and then they're going to have this preconceived idea. And then I start reading the review and what the person's saying. They're saying they're a beginner to self-help and I don't explain any how. So my head starts going to, what do you mean I don't explain any hows? And I have such a good review in Publishers Weekly. I mean, you know, my head was going nuts for stuff. And then I turned to my husband, I said, what do I do? Do I, do I reply to this? Like, you know, it was such a really, that was like, I went out of alignment there. And it was right when I just, I I'd, I'd, like, like had some really good press come out, different things. And, and I came back to, I just thank gosh, from having this awareness, I took a step back. And I just went, you know, what each person is where they're at, they're entitled to have whatever their opinion is. And, and I can't have control over what that other person is doing. I wanted to write back, write a comment below, and say, why, why? But instead, I had enough awareness to, instead I, I email my publicist and my marketing director, and I said, I got my first horrible review. Like, what you know, I just, I'm interested, what's your perspective on this? And they both said, don't reply. You know, just it's not something to focus on. You know that there's nothing founded in that. And, and it was like, I was able to get myself back to a place of peace. And then I was about to hop on client calls. So I really wanted to make sure I was centered. And, and so that thing of what you said before about the self-honesty and, and it's like just constantly having to come back to that place of no matter how evolved we get, or supposedly how many spiritual tools we have, I think be able to recognize the things that trigger us. And and that feeling of, you know, for me, it was an old wound of I'm being rejected here, or someone's making a judgment of me, and and just being able to just go, ah, oh, let it go. You know, just mm-hmm. let it go. So that that You know, I could say, well, it's a negative. It's sometimes out of these what feel like horrible things or negative experiences. That was an opportunity for me to grow. Mm.
0: Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's perfectly part of grist for the mill. Everything is. It's all perfect. You know, even as you said earlier, this stuff that's going on in this country right now is providing a lot of grist for the old mill for everyone. And there is a way in which it is enhancing uh compassion as you said it it absolutely is amidst the tr- of course a lot of suffering and more to come unfortunately that'll trickle down uh so yeah
1: yes yeah, so at that and what you're saying at that political level what i notice for myself is to really to Instead of say, well, this side's right or that side's wrong, especially when everything blew up on Facebook and a lot of people would post stuff politically and I decided not to do that, my focus, where I try to put my focus is how can I come up with solutions, you know, rather than this this side's right, this side's wrong and just to keep coming back to, um, I don't want to say, you know, part of me says neutral, it's not that. I just think, focusing on how can we grow because I don't, I used to think many years ago, oh, we have one spiritual awakening. You know, my, for me, my big spiritual awakening was back when I was around 20 years old and it sort of carried over through a three, four year period. But then what I found is, is that there are these constant series of spiritual awakenings that are happening. And if we are focused on improving ourselves, then we're always going to go through more and more spiritual awakenings and to embrace that rather than, oh, my gosh, I've got to grow again. I can't do it. What's going to happen next? Just to keep trying to relax into that and not dread things.
0: Mm. Oh, tell me about your spiritual awakening, please. Tell us that story
1: my really that my original yeah that original spiritual awakening happened i used to go to a gym in northwest london in belsize park and i had a yoga it was the first time i really came across yoga and and he had oh my gosh i don't know why i can't remember his his name now he's an incredible yoga teacher who spent many years like yourself out in india and and that, as I went through these classes at the gym, the meditation started to, I'd say to him, I'd start seeing this violet light in my in my third eye. I didn't know that was the third eye then. And it really started to, where I've been very clairvoyant, had the ability to be a very strong intuitive since I was a child, it suddenly all, instead of having this terrible fear, there was just this excitement of of being able to embrace those spiritual gifts and I started to really have a a deeper fascination with understanding energy how energy works just beyond the physical and so that opened up so much to me and through meditation through I would find then that my nighttime dreams were really powerful, and it also opened the doorway for me to want to travel around the world and connect with other indigenous cultures and see that no matter what the religion, what the race, what the age group, what the gender, that that we, there were commonalities there that are, are, are universal threads. And so that was... Mm. That really was transformational for my life and, and the path that I took in terms of my career and my relationships. Mm. And, and now I sort of feel like I've come back around full circle. It's more I'm in a period of integration right now before moving into this next cycle of growth. Mm.
0: What you experienced was the, the same as what we got when we went to India and we met Maharaji. Because mm. the first thing he said, Pointed his finger up and went, It's all in Hindi sub ek. All one. There is only one. Absolutely. Definitively every day. One. Krishna, Buddha, Mohammed, Christ, blah blah blah. One. One. So yeah
1: and 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 something that happened for me a few years after that was when I came out to the states and I was taking lots of trips back and forth from the UK to the US and I remember going to the self-realization fellowship at you know the lake shrine mm. and through a dear friend of mine I ended up spending three months at the at uh, the Sunburst Ranch which was outside of gosh it was like very close to Builton and Solvang up in that area there oh, yeah. in California and it was while Norman Paulson was still alive he was the last living disciple of Yogananda we were filming a movie documentary up there and I remember when I was in Los Angeles and learned about Kriya Yoga, because there's obviously there's many different styles, right? Different approaches to yoga. I just had this this attitude, I suppose, the unevolved ego. The part of me was like, well, "I just want to know these Kriyas now. Like, I just got to get this because then I can get to here." Instead of realizing, <laughs> it's an you know it's an ongoing thing. So when I found out about where normal Paulson and the teachings up there up at the at the farm at that center and I spent some time there we got taught the careers right away but what I didn't realize was just knowing or learning a particular tool so to speak doesn't mean that everything's then just going to flow perfectly in your life mm-hmm. because it goes back to what you're saying that the you know the the there's some how do you refer to it again
0: some scars
1: yeah there's some scars these patterns these imprints upon our soul that as we start to dive into these practices if something is out of alignment it will really come up and i think that looking back on that time period when i was there for the three months i had certain judgments of how People approach their spiritual practice, what they did within the community, how things were supposed to evolve. And I've seen it from different spiritual communities where there are different leaders with certain type of yoga practices. And for me now, I'm in a very different place. If I think there is something valid for everyone, and if someone has a judgment, it means either they just don't get it or it's not for them. Because if it's working for other people, <laughs> then it's working, and, and that's it. It's, it's as simple as that. So yeah. that's definitely been a eye-opening for me.
0: Mm. The gift of a mistake is another section of the book that I uh, also think is terribly important because it involves fear, number one. We are so afraid. At the most simple levels, too, of work levels, interrelationship uh, level, uh, spiritual path level. It it really is a big deal. Um, a, a mistake can help you clarify where you need to uh, you make an attitude adjustment. I love that part of it, too. Yeah. There's a lot of attitude adjustments that are needed for many of us on a day-to-day, for sure. Um, but... Talk about mistakes, because most people are in fear of making a mistake, uh, but multi-level, not just in terms of their career and so on.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I know that fear and making mistakes had paralyzed me in the past from moving forward with my soul's blueprint. And then I reframed it to, well, what if mistakes are miracles waiting to happen? You know, we 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 take a certain action and then rather than go oh, oh my gosh ah like hell did I, how could i have avoided that say okay i didn't know and what can i learn here from this i mean i really feel like one of the ways to move beyond the pain of a mistake is say there is something to learn from this and to embrace that learning And when someone when a mistake paralyzes someone, it's likely because they have been scolded, judged, criticized in some capacity, typically by someone who loves them very much, not because that person wants to be horrible, say to their child, to their to their brother or sister, to their friend, but because they feel your pain and they because they feel so connected to you they don't want you to mess up because then it's a reflection on them and if we were able to sort of take a step back take a pause or catch ourselves quickly when we feel like someone is making a mistake or we make a judgment of ourselves for making a mistake that there will be more confidence, space, ability to say, "I'm going to try something new." Because if we go back to to children, right? They don't say, "Well, I fell over once, so I'm not going to get back up again. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to go and I'm not going to go and try and walk, or I'm not going to try and speak again because I couldn't pronounce a word." I'm right? There isn't that 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 uh, that that filter that resistance there it's only from the conditioning that comes from those who are older that where they feel the energy of that that something is wrong and then that gets locked in at the energy level so if one can come back to this idea i feel of there is nothing wrong with being a beginner in something and and that that is so freeing and that if you are already an expert in another area approaching something that you haven't done before that you're not good at then really strengthens the areas that you are good at, too. And it just gives you the opportunity to have a different experience to, I think, to recognize those those patterns, those blocks within oneself as well. So I'm all about trying new things and feeling the fear and then just going, okay, it's just fear. Just move through it just one moment at a time. Just do your best and... And then somehow it it stops being scary, or maybe it's a little bit scary, but it's not as scary.
0: Tell your story of going through something new with the uh, the whole Laker girl thing. I love that story. <laughs> yeah, that was book.
1: that was terrifying for me because I had I had a lot of fear around going and dancing doing choreographed dance this is a big difference between hopping onto a dance floor versus doing that and on tv they make it look easy so my husband and i we would watch the laker girls the tv show i loved it i watched it relentlessly because i felt it was about much more than dancing and that there were really deep spiritual lessons in there and then he said well you could do that why don't you go and try out for it and i just thought not to go and get on the team. I mean, I was 40 years old, but I thought I could get through the first round. I can make that a goal. And I remember back to my childhood, I used to go to this ballet class when I was, I think I was five, six years old. And I was so proud when we went in the theater and did this performance. I had this wonderful outfit on for the ballet and it was this gorgeous British theater. And then afterwards, my mom said to me that, She said, oh, you know, we laughed so much seeing you there on stage. You look like an elephant. And that was, I know she didn't mean it like that, but it was mortifying for me. And it just really, it made me have a lot of fear around being able to do something that I loved, which was dancing. So, Fast forward to being 40 years old and trying out for the Laker girls, what I did in that preparation, I only had two weeks to prepare. Some of the girls who are auditioning have been dancing their whole lives, right? I mean, you know, they've gone to school for it. But there was something in in condensing into that two-week period. I went and did a lot of dance classes at the top dance studios. And every time I went to class, a little bit more shame got released from me the most it wasn't so bad the the trying out doing the audition when the cameras were there from the tv show and you know a few hundred girls and the judges for the show it was the day before I was going to do this dance class that I didn't realize it was for 11 to 14 year olds <laughs> and and it was a turns class turns I didn't realize it's all these pirouettes and I had this total flashback as of uh, at the end of the dance studio there was a glass window and I saw the parents watching their kids and I remember doing these pirouettes feeling totally off balance and I felt like oh my gosh they're laughing at me and and it was just like this oh this shameful feeling in my solar plexus when I went out of the class, I didn't leave the class, though. When I went down to the car, my husband was waiting with our three-year-old son in the back. And he said, how was the class? Because he was going to drive me to another dance class right afterwards, to a to a hip-hop class. Uh, and I burst into tears. I said, it was horrible. And he said, oh, so you don't want to go and do the next class? I said, no, take me to the next class. So that really, for me, was a great lesson in having resilience, in feeling embarrassment, feeling shame, just just feeling awful and going I'm not gonna let that stop me I've made a commitment to do something here um, and which goes back to rule 11, 11 get outside of your comfort zone and I'm just gonna show up and do this and and so they ended up putting me on that TV show. I'm the only person that they've had on that TV show who is not a dancer. I think they put me in in the storyline because it was inspiring to say it's never too late to follow your mm-hmm. dreams. <laughs> and it really never is too late. But the interesting thing is that in doing that, it released so much fear for me that then I became much stronger in, in my work, in my actual profession. And then mm-hmm. I did the same thing with going for singing classes too. I just started doing all the things that would terrify me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. Joanne. I love that. Great story. Um. The, you talked about in, unevolved ego. I think we should talk about unevolved ego, because um, th- all of us are um, get quite scared of our uh, who we think we are, that being the ego who we think we are, and uh, and to talk about it in terms of, gee, that's just I I would call it, and you know uh, Jack Cornfield has a good he does a, a, a good little rap on it. We're just human. It's okay. You know, that kind of sentiment. And and that would be the unevolved ego. Uh, and, and of course, there's a great line, you know, the ego uh, is a shitty master, but a, not a bad servant. So, uh, given all of that, uh, I, th- I think that you're right, what you say here is the unevolved ego always comes from a wounded place within you. And I think everybody on this planet that is has come in completely uh, enlightened is dealing with a wounded place. And that is what happens on a day-to-day matched with our self-interest uh, that we are in reaction to what is coming into our, our, our sphere, our field, um, and insecurity and guilt and all of that. Talk about that a little bit in your own experience and the, the people that uh, yourself and the people you've worked with
1: yes reaction and the embarrassment the guilt the best example i could give of of unevolved ego most recently is from right before we got on this skype and uh and that's why i find every single thing as an opportunity to be able to grow so i in our conversation before we got on here together and and i thought we were just doing audio yeah. not video right Right. so my unevolved ego goes oh my gosh you've got no makeup on you can't, you cannot go on camera and then even you said to me well do you want to take a moment to just go and put like just put a little bit of makeup on and I thought you know what no I'm not going to go and do that mm-hmm. I think back to gosh I think it was about it was three years ago a dear friend of mine who is a she's a coach as well and Uh, very strong woman she's awesome and and she was diagnosed with breast cancer Mm. and she's young as well and I remember I went to go and uh, go and visit her and and it was literally it was the day after she had had one of her breasts cut off and and so I went over to see her and and she was just like look she pulled up her top and she showed me where her you know, boom, with, with the the all well, the stitches there. And 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 I thought this woman is so beautiful. She is so strong. She is so amazing. I didn't go like, ooh, well look, one's there and the other one isn't there. And yet, you know, I would say from the perspective of my, with my unevolved ego in that circumstance, the makeup is being so quick to judge myself to be critical of myself. I was looking through photos yesterday from a shoot we just did for on other business and I turned to my husband and I said, "Oh my gosh, thank God for retouching because I could see some lines, like some of the photos were great, but I could see the lines are there." You know, having to deal with the reality of I'm not 20 years old, I'm 44 years old, and yet this thing from our society that you know is just permeates so Recognizing that unevolved ego and then just going, for me, what I found works is just saying, All right, I see it and I'm not going to let it stop me. Like, I'm not going to let that be an obstacle because the reality is, if I wasn't me and I was watching this, you know, sharing and being part of connecting in this way, I wouldn't be looking, going, Oh, well, this person looks like that. Like, that wouldn't even enter my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so why do i care so much what someone else thinks you know i so i think that the thing is is we have to look inwards and we have to go where did that conditioning come from where were we told over and over whatever that version is of you're not enough you're ugly you're not smart enough you have to be do things this way to be lovable to be successful and to just strip that all away so um, I, right every every moment is an opportunity yeah. to grow
0: I had Ramdas has a book on aging still here. It's a fabulous book, by the way. Oh, I need
1: to read it. Oops, I'm oh. gonna read. It. I can't no, don't wait. read it.
0: Don't read it. It's gonna. Well, no, it will happen. Will happen to me. I read that book, and every line, every second page was, oh shit, I am totally caught in this. Oh my god, I am absolutely denying it in every which way you could possibly deny it. And then I, I was with him one day. And I said, you know that book you wrote, Still Here? I happened to read parts of it the other day. It's just awful, from us. Everything you say in it, I'm doing. I'm acting out. And to see that part of me is ugly, okay? <laughs> sense of humor mm-hmm. is very important in dealing with, in my mind, and that's why, of course, he was so popular because he was so funny, but in,
1: it goes. It goes back to the self honesty that you were saying yeah. before. Absolutely, yeah. if we can call ourselves out on our stuff, then it doesn't. It doesn't control us anymore, yeah. right? If we can,
0: yeah, and just not have,
1: indulge the unevolved ego. Yeah,
0: and and you that happens by just a little bit of spaciousness. You, you, we are human. It's okay. That's part of it, and uh, at the same time, there's awareness. And once there's awareness, the stuff will burn off.
1: Hmm.
0: So, there's a when we're talking about the ego, there there is uh, a a part of the book here where you do. T- God, I've been dying not to make this comment. I'm I'm fighting with myself. Six character flaws that that <laughs> come from six character flaws that come from ego. Okay. Narcissism. Manipulation, betrayal, revenge. Uh, what am I missing? Greed. Mm-hmm. Um, have I hit them all?
1: Um, there's one more.
0: There's one more. I can't. I can't find Is it. Did
1: you oh say wait, wait.
0: Victimization. Oh. That's it. Okay, I have to do this. I'm going to get killed for this. But these six (laughs) things, they remind me of somebody who's a public figure right now, okay? Every one of these things absolutely makes up the persona of this public figure right now. So I'm not going to say any more than that because I'll really get into trouble But uh, this is certainly, uh, when you put all of those things together, that's probably the worst characteristics that any one of us could walk around with. To have all six of them at the same time is kind of nuts. I mean, and we all have a little bit of all of that in us, which is the other thing to recognize when we're doing the us and them thing, which I, by the way, admit to. And in this particular case, uh, but I... I I think uh, it's probably too much to go into all of them at this point, but I would love to uh, just talk about victimization because that's, that's, that's one that I think that, uh, you know, it's difficult. Narcissism. We are like the movie of me, as my friend Krishna says, uh, We wake up and it's the movie of me from the Mm get-go. Okay, So narcissism is is certainly a natural thing. We do want to manipulate our environment to get what we think we want and what we think we need. Betrayal, I mean, uh, probably at some point in our lives we've had some experience there with betrayal and and revenge. Uh, But um, victimization, talk about that.
1: Well, I mean you can be a victim of circumstance of a relationship. You can be someone who is putting someone in a position where you're hurting them, maybe not consciously, but unconsciously, you know, if you're not aware of your patterns within yourself where you're being hurtful towards someone else. And I think that, victimization is typically when it's it's within us it's we it's when we use it as a crutch there are many people that i've found throughout my coaching career who feel like they are a victim of something that something is happening to them but so far in my life experience i have found that if something is feels like it's happening to you it's not just happening for no reason because people have been unfairly persecuted judged attacked and yet they have found strength to be able to stand up for themselves and to create transformation as well so i feel that victimization calls for for courage to be able to step into into courage when dealing with it from someone else and to have compassion for oneself when one feels like one is being a victim and the idea of when I was thinking about the payoff, when someone says, well, this thing is happening to me, I often I'll say to a client of mine, well, there's some part of you that wants that. Well, what is that? Well, why would I want to be broke? Or why would I want to be in this abusive relationship? Well, if you didn't, you would get the hell out of there. Or you would say, what am I going to do to get out of debt and generate income today? Like there's always an action that you can take to trans to create a transformation in your life, will it happen like right there on the spot? It may take a little bit of time, but letting go of that energy really frees one up to be able to start to create that miraculous life that that one wants. But yeah, the payoff is the big thing there. Of victimization, I find is it, it's it's a crutch.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. People indulge big time in that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I, I kind of want to close this. I mean, there's so much in this book, everybody, and I think it's, uh, it's got so much great information uh, to really get your life a little bit more in balance. Uh, I think that uh, you talk at one point, start with simple acts uh, of accepting responsibility for your life. Like flossing your teeth, even if you feel tired. That's like a good example. I love that. Putting the dirty dishes in the dishwasher, another perfect example. And doing the laundry routinely so you have enough clean clothes that you like to wear. Responsibility for simple actions will equip you, uh, well, equips you for bigger responsibilities. And uh, and I think, you know, and you talk about uh, responsibilities in relationships and 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 dealing with setting boundaries and making agreements and and so on and so forth. But I think the general concept of responsibility is something that many, many, many people, many of us have a hard time with. And um, it's just uh, there's uh, a little bit of laziness that's involved, a little uh, lack of courage. You talked about courage just a little bit ago. I mean... Courage is is extraordinarily important uh, to be able to uh, do the things that are necessary that maybe make changes in your life. I just did one. I'm doing one now myself, uh, and it has to do with a health thing. But, you know, no bread, no milk. It's a big one. Okay, no tea. What's the only thing I like in this world? Chai from India. I love it. Milky black tea with wonderful toast and butter. Gone. I mean, I just did it in a second because I've been, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tuned in enough to know at some point, not only will this help me with the direct thing, which is whatever cholesterol issue I might have, but it'll help me to shore up a place inside myself that is able to create space around things that are tough around things that we don't like to go through and and around directly around suffering, which is what most people, most of us run away from. And so the first absolute step is to even have an awareness around responsibility for who you are. And you, you talked about uh, reincarnation a little bit ago. Um, And I was with a a very well-known, incredible Tibetan Lama many years ago in India. It's a whole other story. But one of the things he told me, take care of your body. It's very precious to be able to get a birth. A human birth is rare. So don't don't just, you know, think that, uh, bang, you get reincarnated and you get another body. There's all all kinds of different levels and planes of consciousness where where's where true nature souls whatever the hell you want to call that thing spirits go and so uh responsibility uh is so directly important in so many different areas so yet yeah, from your point of view talk a little bit about it
1: Absolutely. And I think overwhelm as well. It's hard for people to accept responsibility when they're overwhelmed. And those examples of the flossing the teeth, the doing the dishes, the doing the laundry is just starting simple because sometimes we've created such big messes for ourselves in our lives that didn't happen overnight. It was over a series of time. And so just coming back to the basics of the simple things to deal with can become a meditation that can help us to gain perspective to have very small wins so that we can then build up to dealing with some of the more challenging things that we need to get responsible for but just making those small changes like you were saying with the toast and with the tea it can be absolutely life-changing and 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 for many people that accepting responsibility around self-care and diet is huge, it's not so much about diet, it's about a a lifestyle and the importance of treating one's body as a temple. And I know that the more that I focus on my connection with spirit, that, that that is a repeated message that I have had over and over. And so I cut out many things from my diet a while ago. Occasionally I'll have a little indulgence with something, but I know not to let it become a pattern. It just it's uh a, a once in a well, once in a while. Like it's just sometimes like I can feel if my if there's a weakness within me and I'm going and, and I want to go and do that thing that isn't so good for me, say having extra sugar or something like that, that I'm using it then from an emotional standpoint, and I have to not do that and work it out from the inside and use spiritual tools versus oh i'm going out and it's someone's birthday and i'm going to celebrate and have a little bit of cake yeah so
0: yeah and these all are small things which build up uh, uh, a uh, it builds up of sustenance spiritual sustenance inside oneself and it spills over into because as far as i'm concerned there has to be a day-to-day practice that re-identifies you. That's what we were talking about in the very, very beginning of the podcast, uh, coming from a perspective and, and having a, a spiritual identity rather than your identity with the ego. That is not easy to do in, in a way that you can be honest with yourself. And practice is absolutely needed. I don't, you know, to me it doesn't matter what it is, uh, but I do recommend certainly mindfulness practices and meditative meditation practices with anybody who i'm i'm around and is interested and wants to know something so i i think you know when we hark back to responsibility that is a responsibility when you when you say okay i'm going to be more i i already have this awareness and now i want to carry it further so that my life can become in aligned with that uh blueprint that james talked about that that this book can be for people and that to reach that point where they can be at one with that blueprint blueprint it takes a lot of work and that's why i don't want to be too didactic about that but there is some reality there but just do it with a sense of humor i think so
1: yeah humor lightens things definitely and Awareness has to eventually to have a breakthrough. it has to move into action. I Everyone mean, has to move into an action that's why with certain I see certain people out there making judgments of people's work or their spiritual tools, but it's like, well, have you put it into action? Have you put it into action consistently? How can you say something doesn't work if you don't do it if you don't try? And um, I see that a lot. And and I think really to be successful with something it this goes back to Malcolm Gladwell and the outliers. Really it's you need thousands and thousands of hours of application. And then when you just think you know everything, you don't, there's another deeper lesson there. So twenty years, twenty plus years for these different things. If one does that consistently instead of just diving in and then dropping it can i feel move mountains for oneself in terms of reaching a deeper a peace a samadhi within oneself and mm. and then the light that one brings to the world
0: yeah absolutely that would be the big miracle for sure yes that we can be of some use to whoever it is that's around us that we are not self-concerned all the time so Um, And
1: that's why it's not selfish to be focused upon self-care and recognizing that fine line between narcissism and being self-absorbed versus introspection, self-awareness, improvement, to be able to be that inspiration for others within one's community.
0: Yeah. Wonderful to meet you, Joanna.
1: You too. Thank you, Raghu. Thank you
0: so much. Everybody, big miracles. Go to Amazon. Use our link to get the book, as we said before. This is Raghu Marcus in the uh, Mind Rolling with Joanna today and on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and uh, partake of what's there. We'll do something again one of these days, Joanna, okay?
1: I would love that. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.